Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Morning, Hill City. How are we doing? You guys all right? You guys look amazing, so well done. So I was at Manscursion all weekend as well. But I am here at the early service, so I guess I'm just a little bit more spiritual than some of these other guys, if you know what I'm saying. But great to be here today. Yeah, I, I do live in Phoenix uh, currently. I was a pastor in Santa Cruz, California for a little over six years. And then about a year and a half ago, my family and I kind of resigned from that church. And now we're at a church called Christ Church of the Valley in Phoenix, Arizona. So during my time as a senior pastor in Santa Cruz... I was able to teach a lot of um, pretty controversial topics and subjects. So I taught on sexuality, I taught on gender roles in the church, I taught on Colin Kaepernick one weekend, that was a great one. I taught when marijuana became legal in California, I taught whether or not followers of Jesus should smoke weed or not. That one went over really well also. But none of those topics or subjects were met with more controversy than something that I'm going to talk to you guys about today. So this should be fun, because when I'm done here, I get to get on a plane and go back to Phoenix. (laughs) And you guys don't have my cell number, and you don't have my email address. So this is going to be fun. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and go with me to Genesis chapter 1. If you're new to the scriptures, Genesis is on page one. So Genesis 1, and we will go ahead and just start right off in verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then skip down to verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2 in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he Shabbat in Hebrew. It's Sabbath. He rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Let that sink in real fast. God rested. Yeah, but you don't understand. You must not know what it's like having younger kids. God rested. Yeah, but you don't get it. I work a super demanding job, like 60 hours a week. You don't understand. God rested. Yeah, but you don't get it. I'm a college student. I go to school full time. I work full time. God rested. Yeah, but you don't understand. Like I took my Myers-Briggs test. Enneagram, it tells me like I'm a go-getter, I'm a worker, I'm a doer, that's just who I am, I'm extroverted. God rested. After six days of hard work, of creation, and you think that you crushed it at work this week, right? There's emails, you were just slaying the meetings, getting the sales done. God's like the solar system, okay? After six days, God steps back and says, enough is enough. It's time to rest. And it's not that God's like burnt out, right? He's not exhausted. He's not like, oh, I just need like some rest. 
But it's more like this. It's more imagine the day that you're out in your yard, you're maybe mowing your lawn, you're trimming some hedges, you're doing some yard work, or maybe like in a few weeks from now, I know here you guys like have these things called leaves. In Phoenix, we don't have those. But I know here you guys have leaves that are going to fall. You're going to start raking those. And then after a long day of hard work and sweat, you just sit down on your back porch, you crack open a beer, and you just take delight in the work that you have done. That is the picture that we get here. That's the idea. You just take a deep breath, work is done, and it is good. So why? Why does God build a rhythm into the fabric of creation and into humanity of working and then rest, Shabbat, Sabbath? You see, the Japanese have a phrase called kuroshi, and it means death by overwork, where people actually die of heart attack, stroke, and starvation due to overwork. And the term was coined like in 1986, like during the stock market boom, when a Japanese national hero business mogul died of heart disease at the age of 26. He literally worked to death. And then in 2013, Miwa Sato, a well-known Japanese reporter, died of Kiroshi at the age of 31 after logging 105 hours of overtime in one month resulting in heart failure. She literally worked herself to death. And that's just a couple stories of several going on in Japan. Yet Americans, on average, we work 137 more hours a year than the Japanese. 260 more hours than the British, and 490 more hours than the French. Well, I'm not sure if that actually counts or not, but 490 more hours than the French. We work more hours on average than any other country in the world. Like our culture, in our culture, being a workaholic is not only acceptable, but something that's often applauded and something that we're often proud of. Like how often do we hear people brag about how many hours consecutively they worked or how many days they worked without taking a break or how they were just slaying in at work. Man, I worked 70 to 80 hours this week as if we're supposed to congratulate them. Like people brag about this. Like how many times do we ask somebody how they're doing and the first thing they say, man, I am busy. I am so, so busy. Maybe as you were walking into church this morning, people are asking you, you're asking others, how are you doing? How was your week? So, so busy. I mean, moms are busy, dads are busy, kids are busy, CEOs are busy, retired people are busy, college students are busy, everyone is busy. And it's almost like we think people will assume we're more important by describing ourselves as busy. Like when was the last time you asked somebody how they're doing and they were just like, I'm bored, just extremely bored. I'm just medicating the boredness of my life by binge watching Netflix. Like that's, that's all I do with my life. And even if that's true, like no one's actually going to admit that because we're going to think there's something wrong with this person. But what if there's a problem with that? I love this quote by John Ortberg that I think we're going to put on up here at the screen. It says, 
Busyness is not just a disordered schedule, but it is a disordered heart. We are busy people. Like the 40-hour work week is a thing of the past for the most part. With the rise of technology, we basically carry our jobs with us in our pocket or in our purse 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. The reality is that about 75% of us sleep right next to our phones. And out of that 75%, 90% of us check it immediately after we wake up. And not only are we busy working at our job, but we're busy with just stuff like life and kids and taking our kids from one practice to another practice, to a game, to a dance recital, to this, to that. We're like a lot of us even maybe work more when we're not even at our jobs working. Like when we're on our day off, we're doing yard work, we're paying our bills, we're going here, we're going there. Like we are constantly busy people. That's why when people ask us how we're doing, it's we're either busy or you may have asked somebody this morning, how are you doing? I'm exhausted. Why? Because I'm so busy. Like here's what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. And there's so much truth to that because they have the exact same effect. Like busyness and sin both cut us off from our awareness of the spirit of God and what he has for us. And I think if we're completely honest with ourselves, a lot of us here today feel like David when he said in Psalm chapter 42, verse 5, he said, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? But what if there's another way to live? What if there's a better way to live built into the fabric of creation designed by God himself that's countercultural, that's designed for us to, to flourish and to thrive in God's kingdom? So my brother-in-law, he served in the military for a few years over in Afghanistan. He recently moved actually to Phoenix, right down the street from where we live, and he was telling me about the amount of people who come back after serving in the military who have intense PTSD. And he started sharing to me, though, that there was a big difference. Like when you compare veterans from the World War II and veterans from, from Vietnam, there's a huge difference in their mental health, their emotional health, their overall well-being. When you compare it, it's a completely different story. Like when the men came back from World War II, they were very happy. Marital abuse went way down, drug abuse decreased, America was the happiest that it's ever been. Like a lot of our parents or grandparents are a byproduct of the happiness that took place when they came back from World War II. They are called the baby boomers. But when you compare that to Vietnam, it was very different. Like when the men came back from, from Vietnam, depression went way up. Suicide rates increased, drug abuse skyrocketed, sexual abuse skyrocketed, domestic abuse went way, way up. And my brother-in-law explained to me that the reason for the big shift in how people came back and how they responded to their time at war was that when men stopped fighting in Vietnam, they got on an airplane and went back home and were in their living room within two to three days after fighting. But World War II vets didn't get on an airplane and fly home. They sat in a boat for two to three months and they rested. 
and they processed and they grieved and they even celebrated some things that took place. And I think when we look at our society today, it could do us well to each week to stop and to rest and to process and to maybe grieve and to celebrate God's work in this world. I read a few weeks ago that when the European Puritans originally came over to America, they came to actually start a Sabbath society. They wanted to start a nation based on the Sabbath day, a week of work and then a day of rest. That was their desire, their dream, and their hope. And it's fascinating to me that we are a nation that started with a dream for the Sabbath, and we are a nation that is the most hostile to it. Like, I'm 40 years old, and there's been one day that I can remember that looked anything close to a nation at rest. And that was September 11th, 2001. I was living here in Springfield, Missouri, living on the north side of town. Got up in the morning, got ready for work. I worked at Dillard's department store. Is that even still around at Battlefield Mall? Dillard's, anybody? You're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, okay, good, still there. So I worked at Dillard's, I sold shoes. So I get up in the morning, I'm like 21 years old. And I'm getting, so I, I turn on the TV and see what's taking place. And at that time, we still didn't really know what was happening in our world. And I'm getting ready for work. I'm, I'm going there. I get there at the mall. There's nobody there except for the people who work there. And then we start finding out more what's happening. And my manager walks up to me 10 minutes into my shift. And he says, Ryan, we're sending everybody home. Just go home. Just go home and spend some time with your family. And on that day, it was like myself and every other employee in Springfield went home and rested and grieved and processed. And a lot of them, picked, if you had kids, you would pick up your kids on the way home from school. And because nothing was open except for gas stations and that was basically it. But that was the only day that I can remember that we were kind of a nation at rest. But what if it didn't take a tragedy for that to happen every week. So go with me to Exodus chapter 20. So Exodus 20, this is where we find the Ten Commandments. And for the sake of time, I'm kind of just kind of going to read through these commandments here real quick. If you have it in front of you, that's fine too. So let's go ahead and read through these together. So the first commandment is this. You shall have no other gods before me. Second, in verse 4, it says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on earth, beneath, or in the waters below. The third one is in verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Then we come to the fourth one. In verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your sons, your daughter, nor your male or female servant. So don't let your servants work on that day, okay? Nor your animals, so your pets. Like, give them a day off. Nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Like, let's go on to the next one. The fifth commandment's this, in verse 12. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that your Lord God has given you. The sixth, verse 13, you shall not murder. The seventh, in verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. The eighth, you shall not steal. Sixteenth. Or, I'm sorry, the, the ninth in verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And then finally, the last one in verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, his ox or donkey, 
don't covet other people's oxes or donkeys, okay? Like, just cut it out. And, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So let's read the fourth commandment again real quick. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or daughter, nor your male, or female servant, nor your animals, nor any other foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So a few thoughts about Sabbath before we leave here today. Number one is this, if you're taking notes. This, is, this day is called holy. Now, interestingly enough, with all that God does in Genesis 1 and 2, he calls one thing holy. It's not you. It's not me, but it's a day that he's created for mankind to rest. The first time that the word holy is ever mentioned in scripture is when it's used to describe the Sabbath. And that's it. Not a temple, not a place, but a time is described as holy. Meaning this, if you want to experience God, if you want to experience the presence of God in everything that he has for you, then you don't have to go to a temple. You don't have to go to a cathedral. You don't have to travel to like St. Paul's in London. You just have to stop and rest and worship and delight. And that is it. And that is a gift that God has given us. I love what Dan Allender says about this. And I think we're going to put this quote up here as well. He says, the Sabbath is an invitation to enter the light. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it's the best day of the week. It is the day we anticipate and the day we remember. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex with your spouse, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it, to make it holy, because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. I love that. So what does keeping the Sabbath day holy mean? I think there's a lot that goes into this, but for the sake of time, some good questions to ask ourselves would be this. What could I do for 24 hours that would bring me deep, deep joy? What could I do for 24 hours that would cause me to experience the kind of rest that exhilarates my soul? What is something I can do during the day that is both worship and rest? If it's worship and if it's rest, I would say that is a pretty great Sabbath right there. That is a day that you've set aside holy unto God. It's worship and it's rest. Second thought is this. This is the only command that begins with the word remember. He says, remember the Sabbath day. It's like God knew this would be the one that we would most likely forget, right? It was a few years ago 
that I was in California pastoring a church, and man, we started growing and thriving, and things were going well, and I was in a board meeting, and one of the board members of our church said, I just want to bring something up. I think, man, things have been going well here. I think we need to talk about giving Ryan a raise. And I like perked up a little bit. Yeah, go on. And he said, you know, I have drive by the church a lot of times on a Saturday, which Ryan, I know is your day off. I know that like that's your day off. And I drive by here several times on a Saturday and your car is here. And, you, and I, can, I know you're working hard even on your day off. So you deserve a raise. And it dawned on me. If I break nine of the Ten Commandments, I'm getting fired. If I start worshiping another god, if I like get up on a Sunday and start taking the Lord's name in vain, if I steal money from the church, if I have an affair on my wife, if I kill someone, yeah, I'm probably going to get fired from my job. But if I break one, I get a raise? Seriously? I mean, I still took it, but it's still like, <laughs> but it dawned on me, there's got to be something, there's got to be something wrong with that. And I realized as a culture, even as a Christian culture, we don't believe in Ten Commandments. We believe in nine and one pretty good suggestion, and that's it. Next one, number three. This is both a command and a gift. Theologians point out that the Sabbath commandment is number four because it's like a bridge command, meaning the first three are all about like our relationship with God, and the last six are all about our relationship with others. And the Sabbath way, and the Sabbath, like observing the Sabbath, is the way that we live in love toward God and other people. Now, there's all sorts of debate going on on whether or not followers of Jesus have to keep the Sabbath. Like, we understand that's one of the ten, but like, is it still something that's, that we're supposed to do? To, is it still a command today? Which I find interesting because we don't debate whether or not we can now kill people, right? We, we don't debate whether or not we can now commit adultery or steal. But this is the one that we debate. And this is one that even comes with a why. It says, remember the Sabbath, and here's why. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh. It is a rhythm built into the fabric of our world and into humanity. We have a rhythm of six days work and one day rest. So if I'm wrong about Sabbath, let's say for a second, Sabbath isn't really a command. Let's say it's no longer for today. It's no longer commanded. My question is, why does it even matter? Like, who cares? It is a gift from God for us to use. Do you know that reading your Bible is never commanded in Scripture? Never. Do you know praying is never commanded in the Bible? It's not there. But those are gifts to us and for us to thrive and to flourish in God's kingdom. Sabbath, however, at least in my opinion, and I could be wrong. If you want to not agree with me, that's fine. You'll be wrong, but that's okay. But Sabbath, however, in my opinion, is both a command and a gift to us and for us to thrive and flourish in God's kingdom. Whether we have to enjoy it or not, honestly, I don't really care. Like, I want to enjoy it. But I think the problem is this. 
we're often more faithful to cliches than we are to commands. Here's what I mean by that. I don't know how many times I've heard well-intended Christians say something like, well, the devil doesn't rest, so I'm not going to rest. The devil doesn't take a day off, so I'm not going to take a day off. And I think, are we followers of the devil or are we followers of Jesus? Since when did we think it's a good idea to say, let's find out what the devil's doing and start doing that? What's Satan doing? Maybe we should model our lives after that. Like, that sounds like terrible discipleship to me, right? Sorry. But Satan is described in Scripture as busy. Like, in Job, he's described as someone who is roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it. And I think that's probably how some of us would describe our lives as well. Like, Jesus is never described as busy. Jesus often withdrew to quiet places, often withdrew to rest. Like, we read story after story about Jesus sleeping. I love that. I want to follow Jesus, right? I love sleeping and naps. That is what I want to do. So you see, I don't think the question is, what if Sabbath isn't for today? But I think the question is this. I'm going to put this up here. What if Sabbath could be the greatest discipline and spiritual practice in your life that set you up for joy, vitality, health, and fulfillment? I think that's more the question that we need to ask. God gives us a day to rest. Like we worship the God who created the weekend. How awesome is that? And it was good. And then lastly this, the last thought is that the Sabbath is the gospel. And here's what I mean by that. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them on day six. And he put them in the middle of the garden. And he said, I want you to work it. I want you to take care of the garden. But one day a week, I want you to stop and I want you to rest and I want you to worship and I want you to delight. And that day is the seventh day. So think about this for a second. They are created on day six and they are resting on day seven. I think it's pretty powerful that Adam and Eve's first day of existence is a day of Sabbath. It's a day of rest and worship and delight. All they had to do was enjoy what God had done. They begin with rest. And this is the first picture, the first glimpse of the gospel that we see in the Bible. Like, I don't know how many people I've talked to who don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ because they think they have to work in order for God to love them. They have to make things right. They have to work their way to God. And if you're here, and if that's what you believe, I'd say you haven't believed in the good news yet. Because to work and then be loved by God is not good news. That is good fake news, is what that is. Like, good news is you rest in the love of God that is yours in Jesus Christ, and that out of that, yeah, you do get a little bit of work done, but you start with rest. And I think Jesus said it best in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My son is six years old. You know what he's been doing for six years? Not working. He's been playing Legos. He's been eating my food. He's been jumping on the trampoline. He's been playing Xbox, and he's been going to the playground. That's what he's been doing for six years. And that's not only his story, but that is all of our stories. The way God's world works is that you start with rest. You start with the Legos. You start with the playground. Because with God, you don't have to get work done to be at peace. But with God, you are at peace, and that's why you get work done. Now, here's the thing. Sabbath is hard work. It's not easy. As much of an oxymoron this is, Sabbath actually takes work. But here's why. There's a fear that comes with Sabbath. Like we're sometimes, I think, terrified to take a day off because we don't want to be shown how non-central we are to everything. And the Sabbath is hard, especially for narcissists. Because what happens is that you'll take a Sabbath and you'll come back to work and everything's okay. And everything is done and everything is fine. Sabbath is a weekly scheduled reminder that Jesus is Lord and I'm not. That's what the Sabbath is. So what does a Sabbath day look like exactly? So for me, because I actually work on Saturdays and Sundays, Sabbath day for me is a 24-hour period with no phone, no computer. It's time with my family. Sometimes it's a little bit of time on a golf course. Could be a day out on the lake. Smile on my face. Rest for my soul. Celebrating God's work in my life. So for me, it actually starts on a Thursday night. Our neighborhood group comes over. You guys have city groups here. We have our neighborhood group here. We come over. We share a meal together. We pray together. We share highs and lows together. We celebrate God's work in the world. And then we clean up. Everybody goes home. And then I take this. I think a lot of you have this, if not all of you. You have this thing called a cell phone. I don't know if you guys know this or not. But there's this button on the side that if you hold it down long enough, this thing actually turns off. And what happens, if you notice, there's this apple that's bitten out of it to show us, like to remind us of the fall, of what happens, <laughs> of forbidden fruit, when you, when you pick this back up, right? Anyways, <laughs> go to bed Thursday night, and I turn off my phone. And it's not back on again until Friday night. I wake up in the morning, my wife sleeps in, my son has school on Friday, I make him breakfast, I pray over him, he goes to the bus and he's off to school. I go back inside, my wife and I, sometimes my daughter as well because she has school off on Friday, we go and enjoy brunch together. No phone, nothing there to distract us. We just talk about, man, celebrating what God is doing in our lives and, and in our family. We come home, we take a walk, uh, we take a golf cart ride, like we live in a weird community where it's like a retired community for young families. So people have golf carts. And you gotta go there sometime, it's, it's amazing. So we, we take a golf cart ride or we take a little walk or something and then we all do what we enjoy doing the most. Like my wife might go back inside and, and take a nap. She might go get her nails done. I might go hit some golf balls, meet up with a friend of mine and just, and just play golf. Then I come home, 
my son comes back from school, I, I get him from the bus, and we hop on our golf cart, and right down the street is, is an ice cream store. We go and get ice cream together. And then we, so we kind of do dessert before dinner. I know it's kind of weird, but that's just how we roll on Sabbath. Like, we just break all the rules on Sabbath. We don't even care. So we go, we get some ice cream, then we come home, we eat dinner together as a family, we pray, we share highs and lows, and that's it. That's what our Sabbath day looks like. And I don't know what that is like for you, but I committed to doing this a few years ago, and it's the closest thing to the Garden of Eden I've ever experienced. And there's weeks where it's a bit awkward. It doesn't always land fully, but there's weeks that it is the most beautiful thing. And there's days that it's the most clarity I get, the most joy I receive, the most love I feel is on my Sabbath. And like I said, yours may look different. That's the cool thing about Sabbath. There's no, it doesn't, it never tells us exactly how we're supposed to do it. It just says, is it rest? Is it worship? Is it delight? Is it a day of that? Do that. Whatever that looks like for you. So this past week, I got my son a science kit. He's really into science right now. I don't know why, because I hate science, but for some reason, he loves science. So I got him this kit to do a science experiment. So we sit down at the counter in, in the kitchen, and we're doing these experiments and different things. Like we're creating dancing water. We're putting chemicals in the waters, like dancing around. We create a little volcano together. And my son just has the biggest smile on his face. He is so joyful, so happy. And he looks at me like in the middle of all this, and he says, Dad, thanks for the science kit. This is the best gift ever. I love this science kit. And the best part about the whole experience for me was not him verbally thanking me for it, but was me seeing how much he enjoyed the gift and how we could enjoy it together. And I think that's what Sabbath is. God's like, I've given you this gift. Do what brings you joy and delight and is rest for your soul. And let's like, let's do that together. Let's share in that together. So how do you worship, how do we worship God graciously so that you enjoy what he's given you? You take delight in the gift that he's graciously given us. So what would our communities, our families, our neighborhoods, our souls look like if we took a day to fight the system of our society and simply took delight in the gift that God has for us. That's the invitation. You see, Sabbath is a weapon for us to say no. To say no to exhaustion, to say no to anxiety, to say no to stress, to say no to consumerism, and to say yes to everything that God has for us. So as we close today, I want to read Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13 through 14, just over your life, and then we're going to pray. Here's what it says. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. 
And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray.